It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. How you? Got a little bit of rain going out there, and uh, I hope that it's not coming with anything damaging for you. But Yay. anytime we can see green on our screen here moving across the state of Nebraska and Kansas, portions of Colorado and into the Dakotas, it's a good day, wouldn't you say, Jesse Harding? Very good day. Lots of places are dry in the state. Yep. They need some rain. Unfortunately, some of that has come with some quarter to nickel size hail. We hope you're not uh, getting that, but we're seeing just about everywhere we're heard some form of precipitation today, so let's drink it in while we can. Jesse, headlines. Well, obviously, as we're in July, it's the middle of county fair season, and we'll talk a little more about that at the 1213. For the newsmaker today, Brandon Bennett's talked to Brad Kernick. He's the chairman of the Cruise Night Steering Committee, talking about the Cruise Night in Kearney celebrating the 30th year, and it's kicking off tonight. They talk about the origins, how it's grown, an overview of this year's schedule, and more. And then for the 117, Joe Gangwish is joined with Bob Strait. He is a crop consultant from Central Iowa, agronomist, discussing the new strain of Goss's wilt and what producers might be able to do on that front. I did skip the 1219. Why? That's because the legendary Jason Jorgensen is going to have it. Okay, well, let's find out what's going on at 1219. Not every day you get an intro like that. No, it isn't. (laughs) <laughs> well, coming up in sports, we will hear from the pride of Cozad, Jared Crick, there you go. former Huskers, getting set for his second year with the Denver Broncos. They've had a lot of things change this offseason. New yeah. head coach, yeah. Vance Joseph, that's still a pretty decent team. Yeah, So we'll get Jared's take on that. A lot of Broncos fans out there chomping at the bit. There are. There's also a lot of people out there that, that don't like the Broncos, <laughs> especially if they cheer for the Kansas City Chiefs, <laughs> which we have a lot of Chief fans in our what we get listing here. audience. Yeah. So we'll hear from Jared. He's always he's always good to get a hold of. You got a good game last night, too. Yeah, pretty decent uh, all-star game. I was hoping maybe for a tie. I thought that would have been ironic since last night was the first night since the infamous tie in right. 2002 that nothing was really on the line for the game other than the guys each playing for $20,000 apiece for the winning team. Yeah. But it didn't end up being a tie. Uh, but it ended dramatically with a home run. They, so. Can they actually end that game with a tie? Do we know? I don't. I don't know. I'm sure that was crossing the minds of some of the officials <laughs> last night with what Major League do? Baseball. What like, oh, no, not 2002 all over again. Right. So when Robinson Cano hit that home run yeah. in the top of the tent, they were probably feeling much easier about that. about that. One again. So uh, we'll touch on that. And also we'll talk some Wimbledon. There's an American who has moved on. For the yeah. first time since 2009. But at the expense of uh, yes, one of the Andy Murray. Yeah, what a deal. All right, Bob Rogan over at Business. Stocks are rising broadly in midday trading, so folks are happy about that, as well they should be, and the rain. Also, um, Janet Yellen is telling Congress to expect more rate hikes. She's noting some positive signs in the economy that uh, that may warrant some uh, rate hikes. Also, uh, the, in the Philly, New York area, airport crews are suspending their strike while talks are going on to try to uh, reach a contract agreement. And uh, those are some of the stories we're keeping an eye on. All right. We'll keep an eye on it all for you today on Midday. Kind of nice to see a little bit of something that's 
uh, in the form of moisture that actually hits the ground, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, exactly. We definitely need it. Um, they're getting some good rains as you head towards the North Platte area and up to around the Burwell area right now. Yep. Coming with a little bit of hail. Hope that's not damaging things too much for you. The 880 uh, Weather Watch here is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Rinky dealer. We do have some strong thunderstorms, especially around the North Platte area, just to the southwest of North Platte. And earlier we had a report of nearly an inch of rain, 90 hundreds to the northeast of North Platte. Uh, some strong showers and thunderstorms. No warnings or advisories right now with some strong thunderstorms just to the southwest of North Platte through the town of North Platte. And then we do have some more of that activity right along the Lincoln County and Custer County border to the south of Arnold. Then that rain kind of zigzags out up to around the Broken Bow and also the Arcadia, Taylor, and Burwell area. And it looks like a fairly strong thunderstorm cell currently moving through the Ord area. That rain a little more scattered as you head into central and eastern areas of Nebraska. A little light rain from about St. Paul on over to Clarks and Stromsburg. And also some showers and thunderstorms right along Highway 281 from about Bartlett on up to around Chambers. And also to the east of Petersburg. Temperatures right now in many areas into the upper 70s to the low 80s. Warmer though as you head farther south, some upper 80s to around 90 on into far southern Nebraska, on into northern Kansas. 87 right now in the temperature at McCook, and 87 right now also at Concordia. A cold front tracking southeast across the region today. It's going to stall out right near the Nebraska-Kansas border late this afternoon. Ahead of that front, that heat and humidity will make it feel like the low to mid-100s over northern Kansas. Thunderstorms possible throughout the entire day today. The best window of seeing some severe activity should be late this afternoon into tonight as moisture and instability start to increase right along that front. The greater risk right now of severe weather appears to be over south-central and southeast Nebraska, where there's a slight risk of severe storms from Grand Island and Hastings and points to the east. The stall front across southern Nebraska and northern Kansas may refocus those thunderstorm chances late tomorrow and tomorrow night. Cooler air from the front going to keep our temperatures tomorrow only in the 80s. That ridge of high pressure over the Rockies rebuilds and expands east, though, onto the central plains for Friday into early next week. Rain chances not very promising as temperatures start to warm to above normal. That prospect intensifies in the long-term forecast. The likelihood is high. Nebraska and Kansas will see warmer than normal temperatures Monday through July 25th. Below normal rainfall is forecast in Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 25th. That appears to change, though, later in July and early August when the forecast starts trending near normal of both temperatures and rainfall. Farther out in the month of August, some forecast services actually predict normal to above normal rainfall for the Corn Belt except for the southeast. In the markets today, weather factors include prospects for a more mixed pattern of rain and heat in the Midwest and continued harsh drought in the northern plains. In the Midwest, scattered rain and a cooling trend the next few days will be favorable, but eastern areas, some heavy rain is maintaining unfavorable conditions. A drier and hotter trend in the next 10 days will need to be watched. The greatest impact likely to be over westernmost areas of the Midwest. Drought remains in the northern plains where there is extensive loss to spring wheat, reductions in corn production also likely. A continued hotter and drier pattern in the southern plains will increase the stress to row crops and pasture. Dryness of much concern in the Canadian prairies and centered over central and southwest Saskatchewan where it will remain dry through the rest of the week. Rain appears likely for at least a portion of north-central Ukraine that's very dry right now. But, Dirk, I do want to remind you, you may want to bring your parka tomorrow because we're only going to see highs in the 80s. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll tell you what, when you get that kind of a thing and you think, oh, finally a break. It's only going to be 88. Unbelievable. Anyway, it's nice to see a little precipitation out there. Hopefully that'll keep things going a little bit longer. Your weather watch, uh, the ag information here, brought to you by Holders Irrigation, your Ranky dealer, and when you need weather anytime. It's a KRVN.com. Look at agriculture information on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. USDA's World Agriculture Supply Demand Estimates Report projects farmers will grow more corn, soybeans than earlier than anticipated, bumping up the 2017-18 corn production to an estimated 14.255 billion bushels and soybean production to 4.26 billion bushels. Corn production came in slightly above the pre-estimate reports as well as soybeans. Corn production for 2017-18 through 18 was projected at 14.255 billion bushels, which is 190 million bushels higher than last month's projected estimate. Yield was pegged at 170.7 bushels per acre, unchanged from earlier estimates. USDA raised new crop beginning stocks by 75 million bushels. Soybean production for 2017-18 was projected at 4.26 billion bushels, a 5 million bushel increase based on expected increased harvest area. Expected yield was unchanged at 48 bushels per acre. New crop beginning stocks was lowered 40 million bushels to 410 million bushels. That lowered total supply for 2017 through 18 and also lowered ending stocks for new crop soybeans by 35 million bushels to 460 million bushels. Finally, USDA raised all winter wheat production to 1.279 billion bushels, up 29 million from the June estimate, coming close to the high end of pre-report estimates. USDA forecasts a winter wheat yield at 49.7 bushels per acre, which is up 0.8 bushels from the June estimate. Whether it's strolling through the various livestock buildings, looking at 4-H exhibits, going on carnival rides, or eating all kinds of deep fat fried food, a county fair has something for everyone. Susan Littlefield has more. In Kansas, there'll be more than 100 county fairs before summer ends. K-State Research and Extension Southeast Area 4-H Specialist Beth Hinsaw says the county fair is one of the oldest forms of community celebrations. I just love that county fairs are all about local. It's about local people, local volunteers, local youth, local organizations, local causes. It's all very focused on what's going on with local folks and local things. I mean, when do you go to a fashion review or a dog show or a sheep show? It's kind of a one time a year thing for a lot of people. And she says it's a great opportunity for 4-H'ers to showcase what they've learned in the last year on their projects with the support of the community. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. A different strain of Goss's wilt may be quickly spreading across the Corn Belt. Joe Gangwish has more. Bob Streit, a crop consultant from Central Iowa, says he and several crop scouts were noticing the corn crop dying early with big black lesions on the stalk. We were finally told that uh, it was a form of Goss's wilt by an extension person with the University of Nebraska. And we were, happened to be walking through rain in southeast Iowa. We are finding these big black dots all over. On the way home, which was about a two-and-a-half-hour drive, I stopped about every 30 miles and found the same black dots across in, in all of these fields. So right now, I can find it on probably 95 to 99% of the plants and 95 to 99% of the fields. 
Now, Strite says good micronutrient levels and plant nutrition late season are the best ways to treat for it, and there are products on the market that can help with the disease. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. More information about this story and others can be found anytime by visiting RollRadio.com. You can also stay up to date by following us on Facebook and on Twitter. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Jason Jorgensen on the Rural Radio Network. Today we're joined by Kozad native and former Husker Jared Crick, who's getting prepared for his second year with the Denver Broncos, and he talks about some of the changes that have gone on this offseason for the Broncos. For the most part, a lot of things are going to be uh, the same as it's been. Uh, obviously, with a new coach coming in, he's going to you know, set a tempo a little bit different, uh, you know, as new coaches usually do. Um, but we had a good summer so far. I mean, guys adjusted, and the good thing about this, it's not like we're a team, you know, coming off a losing record where our coach got fired. It was a, you know, kind of a peculiar case with Coach Coos, you know, kind of just stepping away for health reasons. So uh, it wasn't like he had to come in and, you know, you know, put his foot down and, and be, uh, you know, kind of the dictator figure or any means like that. So it's been good. We got a lot of, you know, good vets that, you know, helped him transition into the position and, you know, obviously keep the team rolling. Uh, so, it was a good summer so far, and, uh, you know, we're excited to get uh, training camp started. What's uh, what's your take on Vance Joseph? How's he maybe a little different than Coach uh, Kubiak was? Uh, you know, just uh, they're both, you know, it's hard to say because, uh, you know, both, you know, Vance and Kubiak are both well, well, extremely prepared guys. I mean, they're they're on top of their game always, and they make sure that their guys are as well. Uh, you know, both Coos and, you know, VJ, they're, they're, they're not the, you know, the yelling type. They're not the in-your-face type. They're going to let you kind of do your job and, and say what they need to say here and there. They let the coaches do their jobs. And uh, really, they just kind of sit back because they know they hire good people. So so they just kind of sit back and let them, you know, do what they do. So, uh, you know, there's not a lot of differences. I mean, you know, VJ was in Houston with uh, with me and Coos for two years down there, our first two, my first two years in Houston. So, uh, you know, I knew him a lot from from then. He was a DB coach, so uh, you know, you can see a lot of similarities between him and Coos. Actually, you know, just how they go about things, and and like I said, they're not like a in-your-face kind of coach. They're uh, you know, they're going to let you work, they're going to let you progress, they're going to let you do your job, and if they have to say something, then they will. But uh, you know, they're very laid back, but at the same time, they're making sure their coaches are on point. They're going to, which in turn is going to make you know us players uh, on point in turn. Today we're joined by former Husker Jared Crick, a member of the Denver Broncos, getting his take on the upcoming season. His training camp will be here before we know it. Jared, a lot of the talk this offseason surrounding the Broncos has been the two quarterbacks, Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. What do you see from those two guys this offseason? You know, both guys have been doing pretty good, and, you know, it's going to be tough because they're both two different style quarterbacks. You know, Trevor, he's more of a sit-in-the-pocket kind of guy, pick you apart uh, from, from inside the pocket, and, you know, uh, Paxton. He, you know, he gets out and runs a little bit, and he's got a, you know, he's taller. He can obviously see a little bit more, and but you know, he's got some speed too. So if they want to run a little bit of zone read action or something like that, they can. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's going to be a pretty good competition, but competition makes you better. So whoever comes out the top guy, obviously, is going to have earned it. And uh, you know, the coaches are going to have faith in them to do their job, and 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 the team is as well. So uh, whoever comes out on top, you know, we're going to be behind. And, you know, obviously support. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But uh, you know, no matter who the quarterback is, defensively we got to do our job. Otherwise, really doesn't matter how well the quarterback's playing if we're giving up too many points a game. So uh, we got to focus on our job first. You mentioned competition. Uh, you started most of last year. I know they went out and got some free agents. Uh, you got some competition yourself here in training camp. 
absolutely every year you have competition, uh, not across the board, not at, not at just one position, two positions. Every you know every year they go out and find free agents, uh, and they want you to. They obviously want you to compete for this your position because if you're you know, if you know you have a position locked down, uh, you have a chance to get stagnant. And that was former Husker Jared Crick. Once again, is getting set for his second year with the Broncos. He'll open up training camp on July 25th. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jason Jorgensen. You're listening to the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Nebraska place kicker Drew Brown was one of 30 kickers named to the watch list for this year's Lou Groza Collegiate Place Kicker Award. Brown, a senior from South Lake, Texas, earns his second Groza Award watch list nomination as the three-year starter comes off his most accurate year. Last year, he was 12 of 14 in field goal tries, including a career-long of 51 yards and perfect on all 38 extra point attempts as he picked up all Big Ten honors from the conference media. Brown also booted 30 of his 63 kickoff for touchbacks as a junior. Another Husker football news, freshman receiver Keyshawn Johnson Jr. has pleaded not guilty to possessing marijuana and drug paraphernalia. Court records say the written pleas this week were filed in Lancaster County Court. The records say an August 7th hearing has been scheduled on Johnson's motion to receive pretrial diversion. Johnson was ticketed last month after a resident director reported suspected drug use in his dorm room. The four-star recruit from California had enrolled early and went through spring practice. He since left school at the behest of his father, who wants his 19-year-old son to mature more before a hope return to Nebraska in January. Well, Husker Track and Field head coach Gary Pepin announced this week that volunteer assistant Dusty Jonas has been promoted to a full-time assistant coach. Jonas, former Husker High Jump National Champion, has been a volunteer assistant for the program the past eight years and will replace retiring coach Billy Maxwell as coach of the men's sprints, hurdles, and relays. He will also continue to oversee the men's and women's high jumpers. Jonas becomes the first former male Olympian to coach on the Husker staff, joining Carol Frost as the only other track and field Olympian to coach for the Big Red. Jonas competed in the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, China. And Sam Query has eliminated a limping Andy Murray from the Wimbledon quarterfinals, beating the defending champion 3-6-6-4-6-7-6-1-6-1 on center court. Query has now won three consecutive matches and five sets of the All-England Club. He's the first American man to reach the semifinals in a major tournament since Andy Roddick was a Wimbledon runner-up in 2009. Query had only ever before reached the semifinals at a Grand Slam tournament one time that came at Wimbledon last year. That is a look at sports. For more, find it any. That is a check of sports. That is a check of sports. Have a great day. Stick around. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. There will be a chance of thunderstorms through the night tonight. Lows around the upper 60s. I'm Dave Schroeder. A domestic situation turned deadly in Hershey yesterday afternoon when a young man went to a residence where his girlfriend was staying. According to the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, a woman had gone to her mother's residence following an argument with her boyfriend at a different location. Around 1.55 p.m. yesterday, the boyfriend came to the residence to see his girlfriend while in possession of a handgun. A struggle occurred with the mother's boyfriend and the mother. The young man pulled a handgun and shot his girlfriend's mother in the hand. All subjects attempted to flee the residence. The young man shot himself and died from his injuries. An investigation is ongoing and names were not immediately released. The sheriff's office has deputies located the deceased man in the living room of the residence. 
The woman with a gunshot wound to her hand was located outside the residence. She was treated by Hershey first responders and Sutherland Rescue, then transported to Great Plains Health in North Platte. A Nebraska County treasurer accused of forgery and official misconduct has taken a plea deal. Court records say 65-year-old Barb Sebesta pleaded no contest to three misdemeanor counts of official misconduct as Dawes County Treasurer. Prosecutors dropped three more misconduct counts and one of forgery in exchange for Sebesta's pleas. Her sentencing is set for September 8th. She declined comment. A state audit alleged that Sebesta altered a check written by a taxpayer. Sebesta has said she was trying to clarify the proper amount for a bank. She also was accused of twice failing to collect sales tax and of failing to maintain trust balances in a timely fashion. A wildfire south of Gearing in the Nebraska Panhandle has been brought under control. The fire had blackened about 100 acres of land by last evening. It's believed to have been started by a lightning strike on Monday. No injuries have been reported. Federal officials are no longer requiring Kansas to file biweekly reports on a large backlog of applicants for Kansas's privatized Medicaid program. The Kansas Department of Health and Environment was notified last week by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid that the state can discontinue the reports it has been sending since early 2006. At the time, Kansas had more than 7,000 backlogged applications that had been pending for more than 45 days for its Medicaid program called CanCare. We want your news, video, and photos. Tip us under the News tab at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Brandon Bennett with the Rural Radio Network talking with Brad Kernick. He's the chairman of the steering committee for Cruise Night celebrating its 30th year in Kearney. Brad, why don't you take us back to the beginning? What was the beginning and how did Cruise Night get started 30 years ago? Some people had been to uh, some other communities and saw some fun car events and they wanted to emulate those and so they started with what they referred to as Cruise Night. It was a one-day car show in the uh, afternoon, and then that evening they had a dance. And as the name would suggest, Cruise Night involved the classic and collectible cars then touring a prescribed route through Kearney. And that went on for several years. Since then, the moniker of Cruise Night has really been not totally accurate because it's gotten so large that it's uh, virtually impossible to have that many cars going anywhere with any semblance of uh, order. And so we really don't have a prescribed tour in the evening, but uh, we uh, replaced that with a parade on Saturday evening, and that is totally controlled. So that has really replaced what used to be the cruising around town. It's just gotten too large and too dangerous to do that anymore. Brad, talk a little bit about that growth. How did the steering committee grow it from that single night now to five nights worth of activities? I think that it's been strategic and, and pretty well thought out. They struck uh, an alliance with Kearney Raceway Park, the drag strip, and uh, so then it became a Saturday and Sunday event with the uh, show and shine and then some kind of evening activity and, and then on Sunday races out at the drag strip. So. That was the, the first edition. 
then as the archway opened uh, we talked about gosh is there some way we could incorporate them into our activities and sure enough that we were able to put together a, a show and shine in the uh, archway parking lot and that'll be on friday evening so then we went from a two-day event to a three-day event and uh, so we reached out to a gentleman from Minden, rusty reynolds and uh, he started a classic and collectible car auction for us and now it's grown immensely that now occupies the largest building at the buffalo county fairgrounds the expo building and I believe last year he ran 75 cars through the ring. So that was a strategic move. And uh, both the archway and the car auction have really become quite popular for us. We then talked with our friends at the Midway uh, Auto Group, and they asked about possibly hosting an event in their parking lot. And really what they did is they just moved all of their inventory, all of their cars off the lot and... Uh, we just have a fun show and shine in their lot. A couple years ago, we moved it to what most people would refer to as Killian's lot, but it's a little bit larger lot and seems to work pretty well. But, you know, we'll probably have all 100, 125 cars there. They'll have oldies music. They'll have food and drink available. Then, in discussions with the Merriman Performing Arts Center, we talked about possibly bringing in some... Uh, entertainment there that would be appropriate for the uh, mood of the week and uh, for several years now the Merriman has brought in just really fun groups that play oldies type music and this year we have a group called Good Vibrations they're out of Las Vegas, Nevada and they play Beach Boys music so we're pretty excited about that so then we had some folks approach us and said, you know what, we have these nursing and assisted living homes, and many of our residents are place-bound. They can't leave, but, boy, they have a lot of fond memories of cars. Is there any way that you guys could do something to help them out? And we looked at our calendar and said, ooh, our plate is full. So we added another evening, and that's where the Wednesday evening comes in and uh, that has become hugely successful and uh, our friends at the Knights of Columbus they wanted to kind of do something to get the uh, old town carney involved and so they serve a meal downtown at the Knights of Columbus on Wednesday evening before we do our nursing and assisted living home tour and uh, top to bottom there are just a, a lot of activities going on and uh you know, I like to use the analogy of a restaurant. It's kind of like looking at a menu in a restaurant. Everybody doesn't want the same thing. And same way with our activities, people can selectively pick and choose what appeals to them. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network talking with Brad Kernick, the chairman of the steering committee for Cruise Night, celebrating its 30th year this year in Kearney. Brad, the last word is yours. With the 30th annual cruise night kicking off tonight and running through Sunday, what else do we need to know? You know, I just think it's really neat how many people have come to look forward to and enjoy cruise night. I believe last year we had participant cars from eight states that have come here for our event. Plus, I know people that really are not car people at all but they still look forward to cruise night because it kind of signals that, hey, guess what, summer is here, 
and uh, just enjoy the uh, festive atmosphere that, that Cruise Night brings to town. So to me, it's all about people enjoying it. Obviously, the flavor is automobiles, but everybody can find something to enjoy. That was Brad Kernick, chairman of the steering committee for Cruise Night in Kearney, celebrating its 30th year. Festivities start tonight and run through Sunday afternoon. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett's. Now let's talk volatility in the livestock futures with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, as Arnold Schwarzenegger would say, I'm back. The volatility has come back. And a vengeance today. Limit up in the first three months of cattle and in the uh, first five months of feeders. And a lot of it uh, started, our rally started with the auction, which was coming in better than uh, anticipated. Then we started to see cattle trade uh, up to 120, both in Kansas and Texas. So that uh, pretty much sealed the deal right there. Then you throw in uh, the uh, crop report that came out was fairly negative. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, corn uh, down uh, double digits, and that really helped the feeders uh, solidify their position. So a pretty strong day in the cattle uh, complex. Uh, once again, and a lot of volatility. Over in the hogs, though, uh, not so good. Uh, August and uh, October they managed to hold on, but uh, there was pretty good little sell-off right there at the very end of the day, and the rest of the months uh, finishing lower. So uh, cash uh, seemed to be starting out a little bit weaker today in the in the hogs, and I think that's one of the reasons why. And then uh, uh, the uh, cutouts were hanging in there, but uh, it seems like the hogs are beginning to act very tired. So see what uh, goes from here. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call him at 800-328-0134. I'm Dewey Nelson. This is the Rural Radio Network. I'm Joe Gangwish. Bob Strite is with us, a crop consultant for 40-plus years. He's got extensive experience, and uh, Bob, you are uh, residing in Iowa right now, but you've got experience uh, all across Nebraska, Kansas, parts of Iowa, and you've done a lot of work concerning Goss's wilt, and we've seen Goss's certainly spread across the Corn Belt uh, quite extensively here the last few years. So first of all, give us an update on Goss's and maybe the potential for the 2017 crop. Yeah, like uh, Joe introduced me, I work as crop consultant. I had four years' experience with Servitech down in the southwest Kansas, so I understand it. But since 2009, me and a group of about six very experienced people were noticing that the crop was dying early, and we saw these great big black lesions on the stalk. We were finally uh, told that uh, it was a form of Goss's wilt uh, by uh, an extension person with the University of Nebraska, and we were, happened to be walking through rain, all-day rain, in southeast Iowa, and on, we are finding these big black dots all over. On the way home, which was about a two-and-a-half-hour drive, I stopped about every 30 miles and found the same black dots across and in all of these fields. So right now, I can find it on probably 95 to 99% of the plants and 95 to 99% of the fields. And what we're looking for is just a little bit different than the typical Gauss's wilt symptoms. 
those are, say, a brilliant red or orange flashing of the upper leaves. That was the old style uh, and the one that they found back in 1969 in uh, western Nebraska. This one, uh, in 2009, it jumped clear to Pennsylvania, north to Manitoba. It increased in both severity and incidence. So something happened to make it different. It still triggers the CMM uh, reaction with an immunoassay strip test from a company called Agdia. So there's a clavibacter involved, but there's also another entity that is involved in this disease. And we're looking more for a caramel-covered lesion marching from the ground up. And this shows up typically when the corn gets in that uh, waist high, the chest high uh, growth stage, which tends to be V8 to V10. I know Tamara Jackson found it about three weeks ago in Nebraska. I'm finding it, uh, or started to find it uh, about five days later, and I'm finding it in pretty much every field right now. Bob Stride is with us, crop consultant from Iowa, and we're talking about goss as well. Bob, do producers need to be uh, scouting, doing some tissue testing right now? Yeah, I'd say probably about two weeks ago they should be doing that, and we're using a product called BioImprove, which is more nutrition-based. There's also a fermentation extract that uh, helps combat the bacteria, but nutrition is important. This compound, which is called BioImprove, was developed by a Ph.D. chemist up in Utah. We typically tell farmers that the rate for the season should be 32 ounces per acre. We're telling them to put 8 ounces on at about the V6 to V8 growth stage, and at that time, when they've got their tissue analysis done, then if it says that they're, uh, say, deficient in manganese, boron, and zinc, that would be the time to address those needs. Well, that is crop consultant Bob Stride from Iowa. If you'd like more information on BioImprove, you can go to centraliowaag.com and click on Ag Products. Here on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And today we had a day of double-digit losses in corn and wheat, soybeans, some single-digit losses. And with us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. What was your story as far as the assessment on that report from USDA today? You know, I didn't see anything there that really warranted the sell-off. I certainly understand uh, the momentum traders are now on the downside. I think we broke 408 there in December. That was kind of the level we'd fought with going up. And, uh, you know, you, the guys who essentially bought or got stopped out above those levels getting washed out back below it. And, you know, I certainly think there's there's downside here. I wouldn't be shocked to see this thing traded at a low 390s. But nothing's changed is the reason why we rallied. We didn't rally because we thought this USDA report was going to be bullish. There wasn't anything here that really wasn't uh, a mystery. I think even on the, the wheat side, you know, where wheat's getting tacked a little bit, uh, those spring wheat numbers were incredibly tight, and I don't think they even portrayed the, the correct picture. Um, we haven't even talked about abandonment yet, which are, you know, they're essentially operating as if 90% of these acres are going to be harvested at that yield, whereas I think you maybe be closer to 80% or in the high 70s, and you start tacking that on, that carryout can go below 100 million pretty quick, and then you're talking about actual imports that are going to be needed. So short term here, we've done nothing to ration demand on the wheat side, and, uh, you know, as far as corn goes, I think it was just weak money getting out, and I find it uh, uh, a good opportunity here to be buying with the forecast showing dry, dry in the uh, in the immediate uh, short term.
Can you explain a little more what weak money means? Well, it's kind of, you know, the shorter-term traders come in, and when they have profits or they have gains, they tend to want to get out if those gains go against them. And um, So, for example, we were trading sub-409 December futures, really going back a couple of weeks, and that was the high from back in the late part of June uh, before everything fell apart that first time. So everybody got long on the break. A lot of people got long on that, that break, and then they got up, and when we got above 409 there, I think you saw more people try to jump in and chase this thing higher as the weather got better. And uh, when the market broke then, that, that, those folks who got in are, are now underwater, and they tend to exit the first, the quickest. And I think that combined with farmer, a little farmer selling here, um, you know, $4.00. September corn was in the cards there for a couple of days. Um, but, again, I look for, for this stuff to, to moderate sideways, and I think we'll eventually turn back up here as uh, the forecast stay the same. Nothing's changed. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Again, go to danielsagmarketing.com. We finished the day 14 to 16 and a quarter lower in uh, September, uh, I should say, in corn. Wheat was... Also in double-digit losses, I'm Dewey Nelson.